Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. In first service, there was a note on top of my notes that someone had scribbled, and I found out it was Neil, and he has really neat writing. I thought it was a female, but uh, there's a new one. This is how Neil spends his time before the service. It says, keep it simple. No one complains about getting out early. So, (laughs) souls on or souls to be won, pressure's on. Nice. All right, no pressure, Ryan. Uh, last week, Doug had uh, talked about, when he came up after the video, how those videos aren't just like uh, fun or thematic things for these series, but how the staff knows that it's Doug's cue to know when he's supposed to get up on the stage. And uh, that sounds like, that's kind of a simplistic way to say it, because you're like, oh, that sounds great, throwing a video, Doug knows to get on stage, uh, can remember that. But you're not here for like the hours of training and coaching, you know, through the process with Doug during the week, where it's like, Doug, that's the video, you know, on this na 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 you got to get up on stage, you know? And so, you know what they say, you can't teach an old Doug new tricks, right? So, okay. <laughs> I hope you guys are very thankful this weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, And uh, I actually, I I just want to like talk for two minutes about something I've been thinking about this week. I was supposed to be preparing a sermon. I got caught on this like mind tangent. I'm going to take you there for a minute. This is deeply theological, so take lots of notes during this part. Um, But I was thinking about Thanksgiving and how it's just an interesting holiday where, you know, you know, this once a year, we just like kill so much of just this one species. Like, let's go after them, kill them all, and magically there's enough the next year, you know? And uh, so I kind of started to wonder if like at one point the animals got together in the early settlers' days, they drew straws, uh, turkeys end up with the short straw, like, all right, sorry, so they killed a bunch of turkeys, left them on like the settlers or pioneers or pilgrims or whatever doorsteps, and the, the settlers like woke up and they're like, oh man, this is awesome, we should do this every year, you know? And so they're like, this is now the day when turkeys die. Or maybe it's more of a conspiracy thing. I don't know if you all have read Animal Farm. I had to when I was in school, but maybe it's like the pigs getting together. They're like, we have to appease the humans. So turkeys are pretty ugly. Let's, uh, let's give them the turkeys. Anyways, I was thinking about this so much um, that I ended up uh, looking online because I was kind of thinking, I was like, it's kind of like a genocide on turkeys. And uh, and, you know, but it's like, genocide isn't, like, the right word for killing turkeys, right? Like, we know, we know what that means. It's not that. And so I was like, I wonder if there is, like, a species side or, like, a something side. And so I looked it up, and there are a lot of different sides, like, C-I-D-E, words in the world. And so I found this website, and it had a list. And it is crazy, some of the ones on the list. And there are so many that apply just to humans. So, you know, like, we all think if you kill someone, it's a homicide. Well, I found out it's a lot more complex and layered than that. And again, this, this, this is not that spiritual. I just wanted to share this with you guys because this is like pretty fascinating. Anyways, if you don't think it is, then sorry for this three minutes of your life. I obviously have disregarded Neil's note. Um, but so like there's this word hospiticide and it means to kill like a guest or a visitor. You know, that's a hospiticide. And I'm just wondering in what, why does that word exist? In what case is there like practical application for that? You know, someone calls 911. There's been a murder in our house. Cops show up. 
You know, he radio, radios it in. It's like, this is Constable Ryan Guerra. Uh, it looks like we have a homicide. Wait. There is a toothbrush in a travel container on the night table of this bed. The corpse does not appear in any of the family. We have a hospiticide, you know? And so, uh, what? You know, there's ambicide. It means to kill a friend. That doesn't even seem like a real word. Ambicide, kill a friend. Like, I preached on forgiveness two weeks ago. But if someone, just for the record, if someone in here kills me one day, even if we're friends, at that point, the friendship ends. I forgive them. I forgive you in advance if you decide to murder me one day. But at that point, our friendship ends. We are no longer friends. So the word ambicide seems kind of like ridiculous. It seems like an oxymoron. Anyways, I found out that if you're killing chickens or turkeys, it's called galenicide. So I wanted to wish you all a happy galenicide day as we slaughter birds all across the country and hope that we don't run out of supply for next year. Um, we're going to get to the actual text in just a minute. I do want to take one more minute to highlight something that actually matters. Um, some stuff coming up in the next two weeks. Next Sunday, we have something called Engage. We do it a couple times a year. If you're new here, um, first of all, we're so glad that you decided to come hang out at FBC and that you're checking this place out. It's a big place. There's a lot going on. Engage is a really cool way where you can find out a little bit more about what FBC is all about and how you can engage with our community better, get involved, get connected, and, and be a part of the community here. So that's next Sunday, 1230 to 2.30. Really chill atmosphere. Uh, there's free lunch, free childcare, which is like, would be a for me to sign up. But anyways, we'd love for you to come out. Um, even if you've been here for a while, you're not new, and you just feel like, ah, I haven't really connected as much as I'd like to, man, come check out Engage. It's two hours of your life that won't be wasted. Love to have you out. The week after that, we're starting something new. It's called Starting Point. We've never done this before. We're really excited. This is just a conversation about faith. If you're new to faith, if you've got questions, you're trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about, man, we'd love to invite you out to Starting Point. It starts in two Sundays. It's during the first service for eight weeks. So that means you'll be in this small group rather than coming to service for eight weeks, which is, means you don't have to listen to Doug and me for eight weeks, which is, like I would say, enough reason to sign up. But uh, it's going to be a small group environment. You can find out more about uh, what the faith is all about, ask questions. It's going to be great. There will probably be snacks. I feel like there have to be now that I said that. Um, anyways, uh, if you're interested in either of those, you can sign up at the Info Center, contact the office during the week, go on the FPC app, website, Sign up. Let us know you're coming so we can uh, plan for you. We'd love to have you out. Um, anyways, this, today you're probably thinking about how turkey's on the menu and getting ready to eat that. This morning we're going to be talking about how flesh is on the menu. Um, and I want to give you a little bit of an overview this morning. This is our fifth and final week of our Shots Fired series, which we uh, thankfully borrowed from Experienced Church with their permission. And this morning we're going to be using some ideas from some stuff they talked about. Um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be in John chapter 6. Uh, the main place we're going to be in is 53 to 59 in John 6. If you want to open up, you can. We're going to do kind of an in, in media's res beginning. We're going to start in verse 53 to 59, rewind to the start of uh, John 6, and then kind of work through the chapter. It's a long chapter. We're not going to read all the verses. I actually timed myself reading the chapter. It was like seven and a half minutes in case we'd maybe read this. It's too long. Uh, so we're going to, I'm going to give a bit of an overview as we work through, stop at a few verses, um, hopefully pull out some stuff from there that can show us what it means to follow Jesus, continue to grow in our faith, and then we're going to end with communion this morning. Anyways, John 6, 53 to 59. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I'm going to read that one more time. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, being Jesus, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. 
Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say, shots fired, because that's just, that's not even a shot fired. That's crazy. That's like cannibal Jesus. Like, you come out on the scene. He's like, hey, come eat my body. If you're new here, I just want you to know that by the end, we're going to unpack how this is not talking about cannibalism, okay? So please don't leave while we pray. And speaking of which, why don't you guys pray with me and we'll dig into this passage. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that he brought teachings that were hard, but were challenging in a way that will help us grow and know you better, God. I pray as we unpack this text this morning that you would just speak to us and continue to shape our lives. Thank you so much, God. Amen. So one thing you need to know about me is I am not a picky eater at all. I, I will eat anything. I know a couple weeks ago I was uh, ragging on uh, pretzels. I was saying that, you know, some people are, that there are those weirdos out there, like my wife, who think that pretzels are the best part of munchies mix. Obviously they're wrong. I mean, I think that a bag of munchie mix is just a future bag of pretzels once we've eaten all the good stuff. But I'll, I'll eat anything. As much as I say that, I'll still eat pretzels. You invite me to your party, all you have is bowls of pretzels. Bad choice, but I'll still eat those. I'll, I will eat literally anything. I have my favorites, my lesser, I'll eat anything. Um, years ago, some of, a lot of you know me, but for those of you who don't, before I was here, uh, I spent like almost a decade touring in a band, and years ago we were on, on the road, and we, it was during the summer, middle of the summer, and we were in Texas. And so, I don't know if you guys have been to the southern states uh, during the summer, but uh, it's pretty hot. Um, you know, in Lloyd, sometimes during the summer, if you have the weather app, it sends you a notification that says heat warning. Uh, that's a joke. That's not, that's not a real thing. Uh, you just need to hop on a plane and go to Texas on that same day and be like, oh man, it's cold in Lloydminster, you know? So it's hot and it's humid. But anyways, we're on tour in Texas and I found out, we were playing in Houston, I found out that my old youth pastor from when I was in high school was living in Houston. Um, and a lot of you are probably like, man, he was your youth pastor and he's still alive after that experience? Yeah, he's still, he's still kicking. So I hit him up, he came to our show and we went out afterwards to one of our favorite U.S. restaurants, which I heard is coming to Canada now, Buffalo Wild Wings. And um, we went out, and he bought us all a bunch of chicken wings, which is great, because like 10 years after youth, I'm still leeching off my youth pastor. And uh, he bought us all these chicken wings, and we're eating, we're hanging out, having an awesome time. And then at the end, he, uh, he, there were a bunch left over, and he said, well, take the leftovers, you know, take them on the bus, you know, food for the road and stuff like that. So it's like, sweet. So yeah, we had a tour bus, and to be clear, this is not like Bieber's tour bus. Like, we didn't have like a microwave and a fridge. We had bunks. It was like a shuttle that we converted and painted ourselves and stuff like that. It was pretty, it was pretty ghetto, but we didn't have a fridge, so we just put the chicken wings wings in the bus, and, uh, you know, we drove overnight to San Antonio, which is another part of uh, Texas. Okay, I know what I almost just said there. Okay, sorry. I got, like, a whole bunch of people laughing at me. Okay. Um, we drove overnight to San Antonio, another really hot part of Texas, and the chicken wings had been sitting in the bus overnight, and then they sat there during the day, and then we played a show that night, and uh, after the show, some of you guys know Tyler, he used to go here, he lives in Colorado now, but we were like, man, we're hungry, let's go find those chicken wings. And so we go to the bus looking for the chicken wings. Now, Barry, if you know Barry, he was kind of like our tour mom, and he would sometimes, uh, you know, he, he would get to the point where, like, how filthy and gross the bus was. He would just break, and he'd just purge the bus and do a big cleanup and stuff like that. So we get in the bus, and Barry's in the middle of one of those. It's kind of like your mom when, like, company's coming or whatever. And so we get on the bus, and he's doing that, and we're like, whatever. And we go to get the chicken wings. We can't find them. And we're like, dude, where are the chicken wings? 
He's like, guys, I threw those. They've been sitting. I think you have to understand about our bus. When it's 40 outside in Texas, it's 50 in our bus. It's a sauna all day. So he's like, guys, they've been sitting in like 40, 50 degrees all day. And we're like, yeah, like if anything, they cook tomorrow, right? Like double baked, <laughs> refried chicken wings. I don't know. It's got to be some kind of like, you know, deep southern super fried chicken wing, you know? And Barry's like, you guys are idiots. This chicken can't last outside of a fridge. And we Googled it, and everything on Google agrees with Barry, but we never got to test it because he threw them away. So we don't know who's right. Probably I'm standing here today because Barry threw those away. Um, anyways, I'll eat anything. Years on the road, we'd eat like five-day-old pizza without even blinking, you know? Um, and so I'll eat anything, but, but flesh, human flesh and blood is like... There's no way. I draw a hard line there. And for some of you, you're picky eaters. There are a lot of steps before human flesh and blood where you draw the line. This is a crazy teaching by Jesus. It straight up just sounds like Jesus is teaching cannibalism here. Jesus is saying, come eat my flesh, come drink my blood. That's crazy. That's crazy for us. It's been crazy forever. Another layer to that is for first century Jewish people, that would have been like Jesus's audience there. First century Jews, they would have heard that and they would have said, okay, not only is cannibalism gross, but we have religious laws against that. They even had religious laws against touching a corpse. If they even touched a dead body, they'd have to leave town for a week or throw all this like cleansing stuff. They'd be unclean and stuff like that. This, this is a crazy teaching. And one thing I think we'll see throughout uh, John 6 this morning as we kind of rip through it is that Jesus is often not what people expected him to be. People had expectations, ideas. This is what Jesus will be. This is what he'll say. This is what he'll do. And he often did the opposite or something really different. And I think that's really true for us today. I think a lot of times we have expectations of who Jesus should be in our lives and he shows up and he does something really different. Okay, so we're gonna backpedal to John 6, verse one. At the start, what happens is it breaks from the narrative before and it says that Jesus and his disciples crossed this lake and they sat down and they're kind of hanging out. Now it says that a huge crowd followed them. And we're going to find out in the text in a little bit that that crowd, it says like 5,000 men plus women and children. So a lot of scholars think, oh, this is probably like 15, maybe 20,000 people. That's a lot of people to have follow you around. That's like, I mean, I think this room is a pretty decent sized crowd. Like if I, if I went somewhere and you guys all physically followed me, I'd be like, well, this is kind of crazy and like creepy and overwhelming. But Jesus had like 15 to 20,000 people just following him wherever he went. I mean, it'd be one thing if you had that many followers on Instagram, but these people are literally like ghosting Jesus. They're just walking everywhere he goes. And there's a reason why they follow him, and it says so in John 6, 2. It says, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So it says that these people are following Jesus. Why? Because it's exciting. He's got something to offer him. He's doing miracles. It's really cool to watch. If you bring him, you're sick, he might heal them. Basically, there are a lot of benefits for, for being part of the crowd that's following Jesus. And at the start of the series, I talked about the idea of being a bandwagon fan of Jesus and how Jesus looks at that and he tries to, he, he actively tries to kick people off the bandwagon. He's like, I don't want bandwagon fans. I don't just want this crowd following me. I want true, committed followers, people who are all in on my teachings. If not, just get off the bandwagon. Jesus isn't interested in that. So this morning, what I'm going to be talking talking about is the difference between being part of the crowd and being part of the called. Because Jesus has the called. Those are people who have followed them, him with their entire lives. And then there's the crowd. Those are bandwagon fans that are just around for the show. They're like, you know, if Jesus offers me certain things, that's great. I'm in. So the question I have for you this morning is, are you part of the crowd or are you part of the called? 
If you are using the bulletin or the app notes, there's some notes in there that you can follow along with this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three surefire ways that you can know that you're part of the crowd rather than being part of the called. I think it's easy to come to church and hear a question like this and be like, no, I'm good. I've gone to church forever. I think that there are probably a lot of us here who have at least a significant part of our lives in crowd mentality. And I hope that you'll listen up as we unpack the text and hopefully God will continue to speak to, or God will continue to speak to you. So, Jesus, he's sitting there with his disciples, like 15,000 people maybe. A lot of people have followed him. And what happens is he turns to one of his disciples named Philip. And I love it. Jesus teaches like this sometimes where he just, he, he kind of lays a trap or it's like a setup. In, in this text, it says he tested Philip. It says, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to feed these like 15,000 people? And it says, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He's just testing Philip. And Philip says, dude, I, I don't know. Like, we can't afford to buy food for all these people. This is the only miracle of Jesus that's in all four Gospels. In some of the Gospels, uh, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, we should send them away. Like, tell them to go to, like, uh, you know, surrounding towns. or where, Tell them to go get food. Let's get rid of this crowd. So the disciples have their idea of what Jesus should do. And again, he does something different. What he does is he finds this kid who's got five loaves of bread, two fish, and if you've read the story, you know what happens. Jesus gets his disciples to get 15,000 people to sit down somehow without a microphone, which is amazing, and he takes this food, this plate of food, and it turns into enough food for like, 15, for like half of Lloydminster. That's crazy. Boom, turns it into all this food, and when they collect it at the end, they have more leftover than what they started with. This is, this is unreal. That's crazy. So the people are amazed. They're blown away, which makes sense. And they're so blown away that this is what it says in John 6, 14 and 15. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, not a prophet, but the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Man, that's a strange move. People want to come and, people want to come and make me king, like if we had a king or whatever. I'd accept that. That sounds like a pretty sweet job. Uh, and, and they're like, we want to make him king. Jesus goes and hides. Again, he does something different than what people would expect. They expect him to become king, and Jesus takes off and does something different. I want you to remember this picture of them wanting to make Jesus king and Jesus going and hiding for later. Okay, so after this, uh, they, they've eaten supper, uh, they're well-fed, and then night comes. And then the disciples, they get on a boat and they start crossing the lake. But it says that they leave without Jesus. And then a little while later, they're like three to four miles out, Jesus shows up walking on the water. And the disciples are pretty freaked out at this point. They're like, what is going on? Because this is a crazy thing. And when I read, I, I hope when you, this is how I read narratives in the Bible. I hope you do this because I think it's so worth it. Actually imagine yourself there. It's easy to read a page of scripture and just think, oh yeah, Jesus walked on water. But imagine what that's actually like. You know, like, first of all, why did the disciples leave without Jesus? Did he tell them to? Did they just go? Like, what's going on there? That's kind of weird. Did Jesus wait till like, a minute after they left and just kind of, like, follow, like, at a distance? And he's like, three or four miles, that's when I'm going to make my appearance? Or did he, like, fly to that part of the lake or teleport? Like, how does that work? Did he sprint? Like, he's, like, waited for a while, and then he just, like, booked it three miles? I mean, how fast can Jesus run, you know? And on water, that's got to change things. I don't know if there's more friction, less friction. I don't know. So it's a crazy thing. Jesus shows up. Why didn't he just get in the boat, you know? He knew they were leaving. It's not like he didn't know. So what happens is he gets in the boat, and they go across the lake to the other side. And then in the morning, the crowd wakes up. They're still on the other side of the lake. Jesus and his disciples are here. The crowd's over here. They wake up. And what happens? Well, when you eat a good meal, and then you go to bed, what happens? You wake up, and it's time for breakfast. You're hungry, right? 
So these guys, they wake up, they're hungry, they want breakfast, but they're like, where's Jesus? They look around, like, we know the disciples left without him, so, so where is this guy? Where, where did he go? And some boats start to come back, and they're like, is Jesus on one of your boats? What's up? And they're like, no, man. And they find out that Jesus is on the other side. So they get in boats, and they go across. I mean, I don't know how much of the crowd, but thousands of people get on these boats, and they go across to follow Jesus, to find him. And why are they so committed to finding him? Because they're hungry. And then we can assume that if they didn't have food for supper, then they probably don't have food for breakfast. It's probably not like, oh, this is my breakfast, so I can't eat it tonight. i got to save it for tomorrow. They probably didn't plant crops when Jesus was feeding them and be like, oh, by morning, these will be good. You know, they're hungry. They want food. And they're like, Jesus just like opened like the most successful catering business in the Middle East. You know, imagine taking that on Dragon's Den. You know, yeah, I I can do events up to like 15,000 people. My overhead costs are like nothing. You know, five loaves, two fish for 15,000 people. And I end up with more leftovers. So next event covered right there. I mean, anybody would invest in that. It's incredible. And so they're like, okay, we need to find Jesus. So they show up and they're like, they're blown away. They're like, Jesus, how did you get here? What happened? It says, when did you get here? That's what they're saying to him. They're just like, this doesn't make sense. Yesterday, you turned all this food into this. You walked across a lake. This is incredible. And then Jesus calls them out. Jesus calls them out on their crowd mentality, their selfishness, their focus on their own hunger and stomach. Because before they were following Jesus, remember, because of his miraculous signs, he was healing. Now Jesus says, you're not even following me because of that anymore. You're following me because I gave you food. You just want a meal. You just want breakfast. You guys are hangry. You know, you guys want some food. I did that before. And so you're expecting me to do that again. You've laid this expectation that now I need to do that. And then Jesus tells them, he says, you guys need to stop working for food for your flesh. You need to stop working for physical food and then do the work of God, which means to believe in Jesus. Jesus says, stop working just for human temporary things and start doing the work of God, which means to believe in me. And this is what the crowd says. The crowd says, this is crazy. The crowd says, well, are you going to give us a sign? Like, could you give us a sign that says that you're like the son of God? That's crazy. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember what just happened in the last like 12 hours of the story. Jesus fed 15,000 people with, with a plate of food, walked across a lake, and now they're asking for a sign. Well, could you prove that you're like, you know, miraculous and amazing? And then this is what they say. They reference the Old Testament text where the Israelites are wandering in the desert, and they say, God used to send manna, if you guys know the story, manna from the sky, and it would come down every day and feed them. So they're saying, hey, God used to send manna every day. Jesus, no pressure or anything, but every day they would be fed. And what they're saying is they're saying, hey, you know, no big deal, but, you know, God was kind of doing this. All we want is breakfast right now. That's crazy. Think about the audacity to say to a guy who's just performed these signs, well, are you going to give us a sign and slash, you know, did you hear about manna? And this is one of the, this is a really good sign that you're a part of the crowd. You're part of the crowd if you want a sign more than you want a savior. Because that's what these people want. They want a sign more than they want a savior. And we're going to see that as we unpack the text. Because what Jesus is offering them is to be their savior. But what they're looking for is a sign. They're looking for breakfast. They're looking at their stomach. And it seems impossible. Like you read stories in the Bible and you just think, these people are morons. They just don't get it. But then when you think about your own life, if you were to write a narrative of your own life, you'd be like, man, it's really easy to fall into this kind of mentality. Because the crowd, they have a what have you done for me lately mentality. That's like a crowd thing. What have you done for me lately? You know, the crowd, they say, yeah, like, I know you made supper, but I want breakfast. 
You know, you forget about supper because you forget about the walking across the lake because right now I'm hungry for the first meal, Jesus' most important meal of the day. Not sure if you've heard, but I need some breakfast right now. And I think we do that a lot. I think as people, oh God, if you would just give me financial breakthrough, if you just heal this one sickness, if you just help me get through this thing, if you'd help me just pass this test I didn't study for, if you just help me get this job, or if you'd help fix these relationships, or if you would just give me a sign or give me this direction, if you would just fulfill my idea, my expectations of how I think you should be and perform, then maybe I would accept you as my complete and utter Savior. And don't get me wrong, Jesus shows up sometimes in our lives and does amazing things. Sometimes Jesus heals our hearts. Sometimes he heals our finances. Sometimes he heals our bodies. Sometimes he does miracles. But miracles are never the point. When we focus on the sign, we lose sight of the Savior. The miracles are always just evidence and a sign to point our eyes back to the Savior that they came from. So often I hear people say, I just don't feel God right now. I'm just not feeling Jesus in my life. I just don't feel like I'm not hearing from him. You know, and we expect if God would just speak in this certain way, then it would help my faith. You know, my faith would be strengthened if God would just show up and speak or, you know, make me feel a certain way. We expect God to fuel our feelings. And we, it, we blame our weak and struggling faith on God as though he hasn't done enough for us to have strong faith. And that, that doesn't make any sense. God has done enough for us to have strong faith. If we have weak faith, that's on us. That's on our unwillingness to focus on the Savior rather than on the signs, to focus on the giver rather than on the gifts. And I don't want to sound harsh in that, but if our faith is weak, we need to turn our eyes back inside and say, what am I missing that makes me a committed follower, part of the called rather than part of the crowd when I follow Jesus, rather than trying to blame God for our own faith struggles and issues? Jesus has done enough. So continuing on in the narrative, it's in verse 32. Um, I love this part. It's another setup. So what happens is, uh, you know, Jesus will he'll often teach where he kind of leads up to something. People are like, oh, yeah, they come in this way. And then Jesus just hammers from like this other direction and teaches them what's actually going on. So Jesus tells them about the bread from heaven that gives life to the world. And this is what he says in John 6, 33. He says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That sounds pretty good. So the people, they respond, and they say, Jesus, always give us this bread. Jesus, yeah, that, that sounds amazing. They're still thinking about bread. They're still thinking about how hungry they are. They're still focused on their stomach. They say, yeah, Jesus, we're in. That sounds so delicious. Hook us up. And then in one sentence, Jesus destroys his catering business that he's built up. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. This is not the answer people are looking for. Jesus is talking about bread. People want bread. And Jesus says, man, stop thinking about it. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He continues on in this paragraph, and he says, you know, a lot of you have seen me. You've seen what I've done. You've seen who I am, and you still don't believe me. You don't believe in me. You're not following me for my truth and the life that I offer. You're following me for the signs and for the food. He says, if you come to me, if you truly follow me, I'll never drive you away. I'll keep you close, and you'll get eternal life from me. Jesus claims that he's come down from heaven, that he's the bread of life, and that he can give people eternal life. And this isn't what people wanted. They're focused on their stomachs. They want Jesus to do something natural, but Jesus offers something supernatural. Because the reality is your only need in life is something supernatural, and that's, that is eternal hope that Jesus can, only Jesus can offer you in your life. The rest, the flesh, we're going to see later in the text, that doesn't really matter. This is not what people are hoping for. They're like, we want bread. 
Jesus says, I'm the bread, and people are like, okay, that, you know, like when someone goes on a trip or something, and they, they're like, I brought you a gift back, and you're like, oh, yeah, and you're so excited, and they give it to you, and it's something you hate, you know? It's like, or your moms are like, your kid's like, I got you a really cool Christmas present. It's a vacuum cleaner, and you're like, cool, I get to do more work. You know, it's like not what you're hoping for. I, I appreciate all your gifts you've ever given me, for the record, okay? I'll pretend that I like them no matter what you give me, but this is like Jesus is teaching. He's saying, here's something awesome. People get excited, and then he gives them an answer that isn't what they want, and so they're upset. They, the crowd wants Jesus to conform to their will to meet the natural rather than just offering them the supernatural. But really, the called are people who are willing to conform to Jesus as well. This is another surefire sign that you're part of the crowd. You're part of the crowd if you expect Jesus to conform to your will, but you won't conform to his. Upon Jesus saying this, the crowd, they start to get upset. They grumble. They start arguing. And they're upset because they're like, Jesus is just saying that he came down from heaven? Like, who, who can say that? And I mean, I'm thinking there's got to be someone in the crowd who's like, hey, guys, remember like the walking on water thing and the feeding like all of us? That, that's pretty good stuff. That could be someone from, who's from heaven. That could be like a sign maybe that maybe he is from heaven. And then they go on to say this. They say, isn't this the son of Joseph? You guys know like Joseph? Joseph and Mary, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this just a son of a carpenter? So what they do is they normalize Jesus down to like the kid that grew up down the street. Carpenter's son, Joseph's son. We all know Joseph. This is just his kid. Man, isn't that crazy? The night before, what? They want to make him king. This is the prophet, capital P, that God sent from heaven. This is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Let's make him king. The next morning, this is just the son of a carpenter. And they say that because it's a lot easier. No offense to carpenters out there, but it's a lot easier to walk away from a carpenter than it is from a king, the prophet that God sent from heaven. It's a lot easier to ignore that person. What a crazy flip-flop. I mean, when it comes to sports, there are a lot of bandwagon fans. And what do bandwagon fans do? They hop on the bandwagon, they cheer for a team. But if that team isn't doing well or they make a trade you don't like or a decision you don't like, what do you do? You hop off the bandwagon. You switch to a different team, right? Yeah. But like if you're a true fan, then you cheer for the Oilers no matter what, even though there's no chance that they'll ever get anywhere, right? You know? Oiler fans are like, what are bandwagon fans? We've never even heard of that because, I mean, things have to be going well for bandwagon fans to hop on. But anyways, this is like what bandwagon fans do. They flip-flop and they just jump off board so easily. This is crowd mentality. But the called, they say, we're in no matter what. Jesus is king yesterday, he's king today, and he's king forever. He's not king yesterday, he's son of a carpenter today. And then we're going to catch up to verse 53 where we started off this morning. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So Jesus drops this really hard teaching. Upon this conversation, Jesus just drops it and says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's a crazy statement. This is how people respond. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. It's like, yeah. You have figured it out. Jesus' teachings are hard. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? I mean, Jesus is saying, does this teaching offend you? I mean, because if so, buckle up. Because there's going to be a lot more. Following Jesus is difficult. 
It is, his teachings are hard, and they invade our selfish, sinful lives, and they call us to change, but they offer something so much better. One other thing to note is now Jesus is just talking to his disciples. So you can see that he's gone from 15,000 people to probably a pretty small group of people pretty quickly. He's lost a lot of followers pretty quickly, and that's okay with Jesus. He'd rather have a committed few than a massive bandwagon. Continuing on in verse 62, Jesus says, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Man, that's interesting. The flesh counts for nothing. He's talking to a group of people who are super hungry. You know, you know what it's like to be really hungry. You know, it's like noon, preacher won't stop talking, and you're just like thinking about Thanksgiving dinner coming up, and you're just like, hurry up, I'm so hungry. And Jesus says, none of that counts for anything. Don't worry about the flesh. Don't worry about food. I want to offer you something so much bigger than that. So the question is, what does it mean to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? And I want to be clear about that because, uh, you know, obviously we don't think that this teaching means you need to go find Jesus and take a chomp out of his arm. You know, it's not like we're putting like bits of Jesus' corpse in the communion plates here that we're going to take later. I mean, this is a foreshadow later to the teaching of communion that Jesus offers. But this isn't actually teaching cannibalism. What does it mean to actually consume who Jesus is. And I think he explained that in a verse we looked at earlier, John 6, 35, where it says, I am the bread of life. So Jesus is the bread of life. It says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So if you're satisfied, then you're never hungry and you're never thirsty. So to eat Jesus and to be completely satisfied is to come to him as an act of faith, to actually approach Jesus, enter a relationship with him, and to truly believe in him. Now, that sounds easy, because it's like, yeah, you know, we can believe in Jesus. It's really not an intellectual acknowledgement of who Jesus is. I think it's really easy to show up to church and be like, yeah, you know, like, I believe that Jesus is real, and he's done stuff and all that, and that's cool, and then continue on with your life. And I, I think that's what the crowd is doing here. I mean, the crowd believed in Jesus. Like, they could see him, knew that he existed, saw his miracles, even believed that. But they didn't believe him to the point of being willing to lay their lives on the line, of the point of building their lives around his teaching. To really believe in Jesus, to come to Jesus and believe in him, to be filled like that, means to completely abandon everything in your life, just to throw it all on the table and say, this is gone. And we're going to see this in the disciples' response. I mean, this is gone, and Jesus, as part of the called, I'm all in, and I will completely obey. See, people who are part of the crowd have a mentality where they can listen to Jesus' teachings and pick and choose. I think that's easy to do. Like, we come to church, you hear the preacher talk about something, if it's something that's like, you're doing a good job of in your life, it's, it's like, oh yeah, amen, amen, I believe, with, I, I believe that. Here's something that's like tough or really challenging. Sometimes it's easy to be like, yeah, you know, that's pretty extreme. That's kind of crazy, you know. And it is extreme following Jesus. I mean, it is a crazy calling. It's difficult. We can't pick and choose. That's what the crowd does. Called people hear any teaching of Jesus and they say, yes, sir, I will follow. And this is the last sign I want to share with you that you're a part of the crowd if you treat Jesus like a buffet. It's kind of an ironic name, considering the text that we're looking at, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But, I mean, when I get to a buffet, they've got, like, the section with salad that I've never been to in my life, and then they've got, like, all the meat and stuff like that. And, and I, 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 I actually, like, have, like, a philosophical problem with people who stock up. Like, if Talcy gets a bunch of salad or even some at a buffet, I'm like, Talcy, you're wasting plate space. We can get that anywhere. Like, fill your plate with meat, the good stuff, you know? 
And I think we do that with our faith. You know, we read some stuff from Jesus or the Bible. We're like, yeah, you know, we read some verses here and there. We're like that. Some of it we just kind of leave behind. It's buffet mentality. Jesus is saying all or nothing. Everything on the menu or nothing. All of it. It's all my flesh. Believing in Jesus, like I said, isn't an intellectual acknowledgement that Jesus is real and can do miracles. Last week, if you weren't here last week, please go watch Doug's message. Basically, what he's talking about is this text where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Jesus is saying, it doesn't make sense to say that I'm Lord, God, captain, king, whatever, master, and not obey me. He's saying, I'm Lord of your life if you obey me. You hear my teachings, you go out, you do them. Believing is an active thing where your life changes. It's scary for me to think about how easy it maybe is to come to church and just think, oh, that was a nice message, nice songs, and go home and live your life and not actually have a real faith. And that's scary to me because that starts to beg questions about the eternal security of a lot of people who go to the North American church. If we just pick and choose like that, if we treat church and the Bible and Jesus as a buffet. I'm not trying to scare you, but I mean, that's a real question you have to ask yourself. Is a bunch of your life still living in crowd mentality? If so... I'm concerned for you. This is a tough teaching. I'm going to get the communion servers to come forward. In a minute, we're going to take communion. And in a minute, they'll uh, start handing it out. And you can just hold on to the elements, um, the, the juice and the wafer as they hand it out. And we'll take it all together at the end. But I want to finish off the narrative in the text here. Verse 66 picks up. It says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love Peter's response. To whom shall we go? Peter can say this because Peter's saying, I've given up everything. Jesus, I abandoned my friends, my family, my job, my everything, and built my entire life around you. Saying, if I stop following you, I'm just a homeless dude with no direction. He's saying, where am I going to go if I don't follow you, Jesus? You're, the, you're everything in my life. And this is what it means to actually believe in Jesus. If, if, if we were to come and remove Jesus from your life today, would your life change very much? If not, that's a serious problem. Your whole life, if you're a follower of Jesus, your whole life should come unhinged if we took Jesus out of your life. Because hopefully everything you do and everything you are is based on the reality of who Jesus is rather than the reality of what you... If you could just go on with life without Jesus in it, then my challenge to you this morning would be to really ask yourself if you're part of the crowd or if you're part of the called. Because if your life wouldn't change that much, you probably haven't truly eaten his flesh and drank his blood. Jesus is... uh, Like, he's amazing, right? Like... He, he is the perfect Savior. We saw earlier in the text, it's so interesting, that people wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to make him their ruler, and Jesus ran and hid. But if you continue to read on in the Gospel of John, when it was time that they wanted to crucify him, Jesus showed up. He didn't hide. I mean, how backwards is that? I mean, for us, that's the exact opposite of what we would do. But Jesus showed up when it was tough. And he made the sacrifice for us. It's so easy to want Jesus to do things our way, to fuel our feelings, to be who we want him to be. We focus on the natural when he offers us something supernatural that's so much better that we miss out on the gift that he offers us that is eternal 
and is perfect and is more than enough. It's easy to want God to be made in our image rather than to want to be made in his image. Becoming more the likeness of God is really what eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood is about. They say you are what you eat. And when we take communion and we reflect on this idea of eating the flesh and drinking the blood, it really is an act of becoming what we eat, becoming like Jesus. And that's tough, man. If you look at the words he said, I get it. It's hard. It's not easy. And communion isn't just about reflecting on what Jesus has done, but it's a commitment to Jesus and saying, because of what you've done, I'm going to respond. I'm going to live my life this way. And I hope as we take communion this morning, that that'll be your heart, that you say, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm in. Whatever you teach, I'm in. I don't want to be a part of the, being part of the crowd is so useless. Jesus doesn't need a crowd. He needs he needs the called. This is simply the gospel message that Jesus died on the cross, that his flesh is broken, that his blood poured out, and as a result, our sins were forgiven and we're offered eternal hope. That's the gospel. If Jesus never did a single other thing, if he never did anything else for us, this would be enough. This would be more than enough. Jesus is amazing and does more than that. But I hope we can live in a called mentality where this is simply enough, that the gospel, what Jesus has done, is enough to fuel our faith and to give us the satisfaction of being people who come to him and obey him 